Hey, Bruce. Hey, Renee. What's up? I'm excited about this podcast that we have coming up. Me too. Welcome, everybody, to our podcast. We are still here. We interviewed a good friend of ours, but we felt like we needed to do an introduction properly because it's kind of long. It's actually a long interview. But it's such a good story. It is a great story. It, it kind of highlights one of the reasons why we're doing this because like we said before, the world's full of ordinary people and they have extraordinary stories. And this, I've, I think, is truly one of them. Yes, for sure. Everybody, this is a, a good friend of ours. He's actually our electrician also. His name is John Long, great guy. And I hope you enjoy his story because it, it starts off kind of where he was as a kid and ends up where he is today. I've known him for a couple of years, met him here just after we moved to Georgia. You didn't know anything about his no, story. No, I didn't know anything yeah. about him. And I just was enthralled in listening to it at the time. And then, you know, I'm the one that edits our podcast. And I remember I got to the end of it and I'm like, oh my gosh. There was just such a feeling in my heart and soul of like who he is. It was just really cool hearing from beginning to end yeah. and all of that. Yeah. And some of the stuff that he shares is uh, obviously personal and there was some tough parts to get through. And, you know, a lot of people out there will identify it because we've all kind of had very similar struggles in life. Not the same, but many people can relate to different struggles. Like I said, it highlights the, the idea that everybody has a story and their story matters. And as you listen to this, if you agree that everybody has a story and their story matters, that also means that you have a story. And your story matters. And I think what John shows us is like what I learned a long time ago about my story is I should use it to stand on, not to so it consumes me. It's a platform. And that's exactly what John has done in his life. Yeah. I, I don't want to give it all away. I say, let's get right to it. Yeah. Here you go, everybody. I hope you enjoy it. Again, it's a little bit long, but hey, it's John Long. Cool. All right. All right. Hello. Hey, hey. Hi. Hey, hey, world. How are you? That's right. <laughs> well, here's what I was going to say in starting out. I didn't actually know anything about your story. I mean, I'm a, or I know you're an electrician. That's all that, that I really knew. It's a pretty wild one. Yeah. I believe you posted something on Facebook and I read it and I was, Bruce, did you see John's post? He, I want to have him on our podcast. I'm like, do you know his story? And I, I mean, I think you said, well, I know like a little bit. So yeah, a yeah, drop. He knows a drop. Right. Yeah, just just little bits and pieces from what John. Yeah. So after you know, that so little bit that you put on there, I was yes, I want to know more. So yeah. here we are. So, so I I always thought like, um, I mean, we've been in business networking together for the last year or so. That's yep. where we met. John always has a like you always have an interesting thing that you bring to the table, how you manage yourself and carry on and. And I literally watched your business grow from, like, I don't know how new you were to that business when we first started. I was, in a, year, the I was a year and a half in. And then now to this point where, like, yeah, just, uh, what are you doing? Uh, just breaking more records and, like, <laughs> hired more. And then here's, I, I bought two new trucks and got rid of another one and, like, all these crazy things. I'm like, this is, this is legit stuff. Like, this is what America is about is going out and 
working your butt off and working doing for a, it. Yeah, yes, doing a exactly, good job. Weird, you know? Weirdly enough, being good at your job. How like you grew up around here? I grew You're, up in Powder Springs. I grew up about thirty five minutes south of here. Okay, and then so what? What was your childhood like? Like just regular school or no? What, like no, what's, no, no. My childhood was not normal at all. I was raised by a wolf. Um, my father was a raging, violent alcoholic who was abusive to my entire family, but I took the brunt of it. Mm. Um, by the time I was a teenager, I wasn't scared of anything or anyone. You know, I'd been fighting a grown man since I was about six or seven years old. Wow! Every yeah. day, every night, forever. My mom took a lot, and when I was old enough, eight, nine years old, and and I felt big enough where I where I could defend her, I that's when I became the main focus of it, and I dealt with that until I was fifteen. Hmm. Wow. Yeah, yeah, no, school was never normal for me. I, my my teachers couldn't understand me, couldn't, they could never wrangle me in. Yeah. Um, I was always high energy, but if you are literally raised in chaos and screaming all of the time, mm-hmm. then you don't really have a normal response to normal reactions, like to, to normal situations. Right. When I was ever confronted with anything, I immediately went to anger and violence and loud. Because that's all I saw since I was born. I mean, it's been my whole life. Yeah, that's your kind of yeah. your operating system. Yes. Yeah, I was, my childhood was as far from normal, I mean, from most normals as I could possibly describe. Was there a point where you realized, like, the way that you're acting and carrying on is was a product of that? Um, I learned that fairly early on. Teachers and counselors were able to help me understand that what you're going through is, is not normal. Yeah. Um, like when you have to go to school in the, like the hot parts of the year and you have to wear long sleeves and jeans because you're covered in bruises. Right. I mean, yeah. Like the teachers and counselors had to learn very quickly to help me understand so that maybe I could ask for help one day. Right. But not knowing any other way, that's just, I accepted it as that was my life and that was my parents. And that's, you know, well, my father, my mom was always my number one supporter, backed me, risked her life for me, like still best friends to this day. We had a freaking tattoo competition for years and now she beat you, me. You and your mom. My, me, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and awesome. now she's covered. It's awesome. <laughs> like, <laughs> me, my mom and I are best friends, you know. What I thought was normal, everyone else didn't. And I thought they were weird. Yeah. You know, the kids with the good lives and the nice clothes. I, mean, I was excited to get socks for Christmas. My dad was, he, he was tight with his money and controlling to the whole family. And that's all, that's all I ever really knew. When I learned how to ride a bike, it was because I had already been thrown off the bike and then kicked off the bike and punched off the bike because I did something wrong. How many brothers and sisters did you have? One biological sister growing up. I have three stepsisters that I've had since I was 14. And then you and your mom are still close. Very. Yeah. And I actually just hired my sister as my... Uh, my phone service Facebook oh, person. That's who that is. That's, okay. who that is. Yep. Okay. that's my sister. I was able to help bring her up and get her out of a job. I mean, mind you, she loved her job. She's been there for eight years, but I like to pay people what they're worth. Yeah. And a lot of bosses, a lot of companies don't. Um, my, my one guy, Evan, told me, he goes, John, you have a movement. The way you treat your employees, the way you treat your customers, the way you present yourself – you are creating a movement. And mm-hmm. when you guys ask me to come do this, I'm like, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, because I swear the universe is always listening. It's it's always, you can make your own life. You make your life every day. 100%. Yeah. 
there's nothing in the world I've, I've ever ran from or been deterred from because of any kind of, you can't do this, you shouldn't do that. If I felt like I needed to do it, I just followed it. After 36 years on the planet, I finally, I've, I've as of this week, been able to give myself my perfect job for the rest of my mm. life. Yeah. That's and it's, awesome. it's cool. Very cool. Yeah. The sense of like failure is just part of succeeding. I don't I have, I don't have a sense of failure yeah. ever. So, okay. So you grew up, you know, abusive home and that is, is your dad still around or is he, he lives in Florida. We don't speak. Okay. We've not talked in a couple of years. When you look back at you now, back at that time, I mean, obviously the pain and all that stuff that comes from going through that, but looking at it, I mean, I think you have a positive outlook on most things. Like how would you frame that as like, Hey man, it, you know, it made me what I am today or it made. Oh yeah. I mean, for sure. I've said for years, the past is the past for a reason. If not for the past, you would not be who you are today. Mm -hmm. I told myself that when I was about 14 years old that, okay, what has happened has happened. I can start to change. And then didn't stop. And then my parents divorced. And I just always had to keep that in my head because I knew that I had to get out of what I was in or I was going to, I was going to do that too. My yeah. father's father was abusive. My father was abusive. His brother was abusive. Like it's, yeah. I, I had to break the cycle. I had to, I just, when, when I was very young, I learned just to move past it, go forward. You cannot stop. This is your only chance to do your existence right now. You have to just go. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just curious, where did that come from? Yeah, that was exactly I don't know. my question. Where did, I mean, because a lot of people, they're presented with that, and then it's like, where did that come from to have that view or have that, this is what I'm going to do? I was tired of being punched in the face by a grown man. Well, yeah. I mean, even that, <laughs> it I, just, yes. It's just clear. I've always been, I was one of those kids that I didn't talk to the other kids. I would draw or paint or write, or I was always, always in my head. I spent a lot of time grounded in my room, you know, go to your room. My father would put a belt on my door handle to the bathroom door handle so that I couldn't open my bedroom door. My mom would have to slip me sandwiches under the door yeah, just to feed me. I mean, I, I spent a lot of time in my head. I, I had nothing to do but create. Mm. I couldn't talk to anyone. He would take out my TV and my radio and toys and all that. And I would have a book or papers, just, just like something I found. And I would just draw. Right. And then I actually became pretty, a pretty phenomenal artist to toot my own horn. But <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's, that's cool, man. It, uh, it just dawned on me. I'm like, I've always been in self-reflection, you know, yeah, if, you sp it, yeah. if you spend enough time by yourself, it's, it, it's just like meditation. Some yeah. people learn meditation. Others have to do it. Mm. Yeah. I've just had to do it. It's not something I had to choose to want to do. It was just there. Right. So in that, you feel like the having that time and then you call it like meditative or self-reflection. Yeah. That just came to you and that's mm -hmm. how it helped you to yeah. deal with that and do it something different than what you were raised seeing. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, and it's not even that I didn't even know I was doing it. I don't right. think at the time, you know, yeah. and like I still look back on me all the time. You know, I'm always... I'm always looking into myself because if you don't know you, you can never really do you. Now that I think about it and, you know, I've gone through all the therapy and, and all that stuff. I mean, I realized that I was finding ways to move through the world in a world I didn't understand in a world that could not ha handle me. The world's mm -hmm. still not ready for me. I'm not done. I had to figure out a way. And I, I turned, I turned to positivity because I had enough negativity in my mm -hmm. life. I just wanted to smile. Yeah. 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 It's like that little piece of grass that, pushes up through the concrete mm -hmm. exactly. you know there's the, 
that's what fascinates me about all of this stuff that we talk about, but especially in your case, there there is always something that you seem to find good about something or a possibility. How do you think your sense of being able to be in your head and quiet translates into the stories where you're in the sensory deprivation? Mm-hmm. I love like, it. So, I love tell, it. Tell, tell us about that. I guess when I was when I was a teenager, I would go into like hallucinogens because I like getting lost in my own head. There was a lot in there that I wanted to discover. And I learned really quickly that those are illegal. (laughs) (laughs) And recently I found Clark's Salon and Spa over in Canton. And they have flow therapy. And I looked it up. I heard about it. I've Googled it. I've watched, I've watched all the videos. I'm super interested because it, the way I, the way it was advertised, it was the closest experience to a hallucinogen type state, like a lucid type state without any kind of drugs. Mm. I was like, Oh, okay. And I, Ended up going there. They offered an, a 30-minute session or an hour session. And the first time I went, it was for an hour. And it felt like it was five minutes. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I, I, it was such a deep dive into my head. Once I was able to just relax and, and just woosaw and then actually embrace the experience where you're floating in water that's the same temperature as your body and the air is the same temperature and you can't feel anything. You, you feel like you're floating through space. And it's pitch black, right? So yes, um, dark. there there are light options if you want light, but I don't like the light. I would rather be in pitch black with no sound, and just let my mind run. I I love to close my eyes and just I mean because that's that's my world, you know. Yeah. That's what that's what got you through. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember the when I first heard you at at the BNI, um, I was like this dude. No matter what anyone says, this guy's always over the top. Like he's so he's gonna just be over the top. I, and I always thought he's making he's making this up because he. And then now I know you, and I'm like, so what's John doing now? Like, <laughs> like changing the world, man. Like, like uh, whatever there's possibly done, John's doing something that's right. like seven times more. Right. <laughs> I've I've never been known as modest. I'm a little yeah. bit of an extremist. <laughs> right. I'm I'm kind of an I don't know. I've always been in an adrenaline junkie. I guess, you know, you're raised in chaos. You kind of look for mm. it when you don't have it. Right. Yeah. You know. Just, but finding a proper way to find it, that's the hard part. Right. Yeah. Now with adventure things and like skydiving and all that stuff, I mean it's yeah, life's been pretty fun. Oh, that's right. You you skydive. Yeah. Done that. That's I loved cool. it. I loved it. First time I did it. I went with my mom. She had never skydived. I had never skydived. I was sitting with her on the front porch, and <laughs> I looked at her just randomly. I was like, you want to go skydiving? She was like, what? Said, yeah, skydiving. She goes, when? I said, tomorrow. She was like, uh, sure. <laughs> I called bullshit, and I bought the tickets. Yeah. And she's like, oh, my God, we're doing this. It's like, yeah, I couldn't sleep the whole night. <laughs> I love it. I love that you so say you want to go skydiving. Yeah, tomorrow. Like yeah. <laughs> we're not wasting time. <laughs> no, you know, because if you give yourself a chance to doubt yourself, you're going to. Right. Now, some things do need to be thought out thoroughly and properly. But I mean, one of those things. I mean, that's it's a once in a lifetime chance thing. If you've never thought of it before, so it's like I may only have the courage to do it the right. once, right. but now I have it, so I've got to do it. You right. know. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so that that's interesting to me too. When when I hear you say you have to, you have to do it before you talk yourself out of it. So there's a sense of like ready, fire, aim, yeah, kind of thing. 
this is what I really think is interesting with you is that you're, you're a paradox because you're an electrician. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that stuff has to be planned out. Like you can't, well, yeah, for sure. You can't just like, I think it goes here. I think no, we're good. No. There's I mean, a lot so, of information that has to be exact. Yes. Are you comfortable in that exactness of oh, being it. an electrician? Maybe. Absolutely. For, it gives you construct to the other side of your. Well, it's, it, it's not so much that I like the challenge. I became an electrician. Through all the, I've, I mean, I've had like almost 30 jobs in my life, and I've only, only ever been fired once. I just get bored and quit and move. And I became an electrician and found the challenge of it and the danger factor of it and the the fact that if you were a good one, a real good one, everyone saw it. Everyone knew mm-hmm. it. Everyone knew it. that guy knows exactly what he's talking about. Yeah. You know, and I wanted to be that. And I was never a good student, so I had to work with my hands, you know. I was, I was not dumb, but I was not good in school. So, I, I mean, I've had a job since my first job. I was, it was a punishment. I was 13, but my first real job, I was 15 at Wendy's and I've just never Wendy's. stopped. Yeah. Yeah. Now do you, did, you did wood working too or carpentry, didn't you? I was a custom commercial carpenter with a friend of mine's dad's company. Um, we've, it was big commercial whole foods, movie theaters, Publixes, Walmarts, earth fairs. I mean, big stuff. Yeah. It was yeah, I loved it. Um, and then I got tired of the splinters. So I, I chose lightning. Yeah. <laughs> it right. was, it was cleaner. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you would do like build outs and like finish carpentry, that kind of stuff. Um, all of it rough trim. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's a whole foods grocery store in Alpharetta mm-hmm. at the old Milton complex. And the entire thing outside and in is just beautiful, big custom woodwork. Yeah. And me and two guys did all of mm. it for 10 months. Mm. Every piece of wood in there you see, I either cut, measured, or touched. Yeah. Huh. <laughs> and cool. I mean, it like when you walk in, there, there were like 10,000 pounds a piece, beams, that are suspended yeah. from the ceiling. To hang those was super cool. To do it right <laughs> had to be so detail-oriented. Every time I walk in that store, if I'm ever in the area, I just stop and walk in there. Mm. It's like I... I, d- I did this. Wow. Yeah. Um, also, funny story, my first job being an electrician was on that same Whole Foods. Oh, no way. Yeah. But yeah, like, if I'm ever in the area str- and, like, bothered or worked up, I'll just go there and just kind of look at what I did. And it's like, mm. yep, yeah, I, I was uh, able to to put my creativity into this that is still here. People use every day, and it's it's beautiful. Wow. Yeah. Did you... Did you always have a feeling or a drive like I'm going to own my own business and not just be an employee for someone? Oh, like absolutely. You, so you knew that oh, I, yeah. I'm going to own my own business. I am unemployable. I I I was never a good employee because I always wanted to be the boss. I I always wanted to. You know, I, I have a problem with authority. This kind of comes with the territory when right. you're raised the way I was raised. Right. And and not only was I able to excel in most, if not yeah, most of the jobs I've done in my life were hard, highly skilled jobs. And I was able to move up quickly every single time. But once I was to a point where I could keep going forward, there was always a roadblock or stop point. Hey, you can't do this politics or office spaces or, you know, job position, whatever. Like I was able to move up as quickly as I could, but as soon as I couldn't, I would just quit and move on. And I always had to strive to be the one at the top. Once I realized that I was able to be the one at the top. That actually happened when I was in Pennsylvania. My uncle had a landscape company, ended up being snowplow company and construction company. And I, and I mean, I was right there helping him grow his business the entire time. I was 20, 21 years old and grew that until the economy crashed in 2008. Yeah. So I was, I mean, I was a boss at that point because I mean, 
I would do the work, but still had the power to tell the guys what to do and learn all the inner workings and the networking. And mind you, that was before the internet and all that. So it was like flyers and mailers and the old school ways to do it now. Yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I feel so old, <laughs> but it was just 10, 15 years ago. Yeah. Right. Go down to Kinko's and <laughs> right. <some stuff. laughs> Map quest to the next <laughs> yeah. job. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So how yeah. did you get into Pennsylvania? What, how'd that? Uh, well, I had a very rough teenage life. I was legally emancipated at 16 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, moved out and went down a dark path of alcohol and drugs and ended up getting injured. I hurt my back. Mm-hmm. And they the doctors had me on Oxycontin, Morphine, Xanax, Percocet, and Somas every day for two, wow. for two years. When I got hurt, I was strong, strapping, in very good shape. And then after the two years of laying in bed and, and, and essentially becoming a legal heroin junkie, I got down to almost 155 pounds. Wow. I was as wide as these walls. Yeah, it was it was bad. Almost overdosed a couple times. And ended up going through a bunch of really hard steps and had my own my own place, my own job. I mean, I was making forty grand a year when I was in high school. I that was, was here in Georgia. Yes. Yeah. I was uh, a natural gas pipeline surveyor. Of course you were. Yeah, because why not, you know? I get to walk through swamps and backyards and tell people to move their dogs and move their cars because I've come through for the gas company to check for leaks and then market every 100 yards. I loved it, and it paid well. I was the first one of my friends that had their own place, the first one of my friends that had a car that mommy and daddy didn't buy, first one that had a good job. I mean, my house was the party house, and I was a teenager. I was in high school, you know? Ended up having to quit high school. I worked my butt off, and... After all the drugs and all that, and got sober. Okay, wait, just pause for a moment. You just quickly went right through that. Mm -hmm. How does that happen? Get sober. Like, that's a... That's a big chunk. That's a big chunk, yeah. So let's not... I figured it was off topic, so I just skipped over it. (laughs) I mean, like, I actually think it's important. You're like, oh, I didn't finish high school, and you're Mm -hmm. walking down this path. Lots of people don't make it off of that path. That's true. I almost didn't. Right. How did you get off of that? Because that's... You yeah. wouldn't be here today if you didn't. That's true. Yeah, good question. Man, digging See? deep today. Yeah. I love it. Exposing John. Bring it on, man. Yeah. I'm an open book. <laughs> I think it's important because that story and how you get out of it, that's what touches people to give the inspiration of you were in the worst rock bottom place, but here you are today and we'll get to all your successes that you've created in your life. It doesn't happen by chance. It wasn't like, well, John, you were just super lucky you got out of that. So let's hear. How did you find Um, your way out of that? I got hurt. I had to walk with a cane. Principal called me into the office and said that a cane in my hands in that school was a weapon. I had had a very bad reputation. Um, And they said that the teachers wouldn't, they, so I could keep my books in the classroom, but if, if they were lost, I was financially responsible for them. They wouldn't give me anyone to walk with me or to carry my books because I was a bad student. I mean, I, when I when I left high school, I had a 1.3 GPA. It was mm. awful. But I had a car and a house and pretty good adult life at that point. Did you graduate high school? No. No, no, okay. no, no, no. I got my GED three, four years ago. Okay. I was dating my wife, and she has two kids, and I wanted to at least say I had some kind of paper education. How did you get out of the addiction from sheer force of will, determination, I was thrown in a position that I couldn't not do it anymore. It was a workman's comp case, and I ended up, their lawyers were bigger than mine, and I lost, and doctors pulled me off my medication, and I had to sober up, and 
it was either go down a road of getting it illegally yeah. or sober up. So I left the situation that I was living in and moved back in with my mother. This, this is after she is divorced from my father, met an amazing man. He's a deacon. He's, he, he, he's who I aspire to be to my stepchildren mm. every day. I told me I had to change, so mm. I didn't. I was thrown in a position where I couldn't get the pills legally for free anymore because it was workman's comp. I didn't have to pay for anything. Right. It was awful. Those doctors did an awful job. I should have not been drugged like that. They should have been smarter than that. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was a teenager who learned how to work the system. Mm -hmm. I ended up snorting oxycontin and morphine every night. I would sleep for 25 hours, wake up, and go right back to sleep. Yeah. Every day. You probably think the the whole Operation Bootstrap, pull yourself up by your own bootstraps. and That's the only way to do it. Yeah. No one's ever going to, if you don't want to do it, you're not going to do it. I mean, no one can tell you to not be scared of the dark. You just have to stop being scared of the dark. Yeah. That starts at childhood, you know, but some kids are forever scared and and always have to be told. Others pick it up and run with it, you know. I I was the latter. So then from there, then you moved up to Pennsylvania to have a new start? Yes. I was going through a bunch. I had gotten arrested, went to jail for a month. I turned 21 in jail, Mm -hmm. Cobb County Jail. Got a DUI. Speeding. It was bad. Got arrested again six months later. Stupid alcohol involved again. That's happened a couple times. I moved in with my mom. I was there about, I don't know, a couple weeks. And I was a jerk. I was I was rude to my parents. I I I was not the respectful person I should have been and the thankful person I should have been. And her and my father, which was an odd collaboration, <clears throat> planned to call my uncle Steve in Pennsylvania, who ran a company, and tell him I was a hard worker and asked him if he would let me move up there with him and 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 work in his company. They all unbeknownst to me. I'm living there. I have a full time job. I have a mm-hmm. girlfriend. I'm moving on with my life. And I get told on a Wednesday, hey, by the way, no, it was a Monday. It was, hey, by the way, by Friday, you need to move out. I said, what? I got a week and no money saved? That's a bad plan. (laughs) And that Wednesday, my uncle called me. He goes, hey, I heard you're a hard worker and good in business. I was like, yep, absolutely. He goes, you want to move up to Pennsylvania? I was like, sure. Didn't ask me any questions. I met him. He lived lived with my dad. He, He was my dad's brother. He lived with my dad when I was a young teenager. I didn't really know him. He was there for like three, six months or something like that. And the left, I, I hadn't seen him in 15, 20 years. Right. <laughs> and he called me, hey, you want to move up here and help me? And I was like, you know what? Sure. When? He goes, your flight's tomorrow. I said, okay. Sounds good. Yeah. And I just, I, I just embraced it. So, I, I, I packed up my clothes in a duffel bag and left everything else. Just walked away from my life again. Yeah. At that point, it was like the fourth or fifth time I had just packed up and walked away from my life and just started over. Just threw my, I threw myself to the wolves. Right. You know? At that point, I was, why not? Yeah. <laughs> there was nothing I was ever presented with once I was, like, late teens that I was scared of or not willing to do or try. I was down for anything. You know? whether, so whether it was work or drugs or partying or driving yeah. fast or it didn't matter what it was, if it was good or bad, if it was extreme, I was doing it. So I moved to Pennsylvania, and that's that's when I became a really bad raging alcoholic. I made I made too much money in Pennsylvania. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it wasn't didn't necessarily get better. It got no, different. no, no. It, it it just got more expensive. Got different. <laughs> yeah. I did a lot of partying, man. My last day in Pennsylvania, I got a DUI. It was yeah. stupid. So how did you go from there? You came back to Georgia, like, or what happened from there? 
Uh, uh, well, I got to Pennsylvania, helped my uncle run his company, and things were doing well. Landscaping, snow plow, uh, construction, building homes, walking jobs, selling jobs. It was, it was, I was thrown into the better part of construction. You know, there's two, there's two parts of construction. The hard manual labor where no one cares who you are or the person who's telling that person what to do. Mm-hmm. I was thrown into the top part. And I was young and stupid and irresponsible and didn't really take it as seriously as I should. If I had, a, I would have been at this point 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. I would have not, not failed when the economy tanked, would have not messed up with my relationships and alcohol and family and burn bridges, mm-hmm. just incinerated. I would nuke whole human interactions like the person never existed and just move on as if it never happened. Mm-hmm. Never look back on it. Never let it bother me again. And, I mean, I've done it with people and jobs my whole life. Mm-hmm. I have a good off switch. Worked up there, and when everything took a crap, also my girlfriend was cheating on me because I was a raging alcoholic. Sold my part out, and I walked away and took a job for the government doing concrete work during the Obama infrastructure pre-rebuild. Mm-hmm. We were doing the rehabilitation of sewer line manholes, you know, like um, in like you know, like the the streets and the easements and stuff. But yeah, it was a wild job. Um, it's a weird feeling to stand on the to stand on the road and look at a hole and be scared of heights. Mm-hmm. And there's no daylight past about 18 feet, right? And some holes are 60 feet. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm going down. <laughs> I would go down in there and smooth freaking concrete on the walls, and it's a four to six foot wide concrete tube with ladder rungs set in the concrete or the brick. I mean, it's, it's freaking some of those manholes were from like the 40s. Like, yeah. But I did it because I was scared of heights, and I was scared. Um, I didn't like small spaces. Uh, we skipped the whole portion actually yeah. that you didn't even know about. Um, all the jobs that I've ever had, I took because of a fear that I had. Yeah, that's what I was just going to ask. That's you. been so a main you, motivator for work. For what me. do you was that sought out, or do you, do you think you? I knew I had to train my brain. Yeah, I knew I had to teach me something I didn't know, and I knew the only way to do it was to do something I was scared of, and I've done that my whole life. Like I had a terrible stutter, real bad stutter, like real bad stutter, my whole childhood. So I took a job at Wendy's and fast food for the front service position, right. so that I was forced to talk to people. And the money aspect of it taught me the confidence to speak to people, mm-hmm. or at least to get started. Years of doing that through jobs. Funny story, I was a, a bathroom and kitchen designer for the Home Depot for a company over in Douglasville. And I was the, the only person with a stutter and one of the top salespeople in the company and the newest guy in the field because I would, <laughs> I would take the fear of not being able or not having the ability to stutter on a sale because if you do, a customer – it's going to think you don't know what you're talking about. Mm-hmm. If you're stammering and falling over your steps because you're even slightly nervous, you have to learn to overcome that. Or a customer, no matter how good you are, will not buy from you because they can't trust you because they, a lot of people think that you aren't confident in, in your own abilities when you have a stutter. I knew I had to be able to adapt into a new way of speaking and mannerisms and being able to put on a face. Yeah. Once I learned how to put on a face, I was unstoppable because I could do it with anything. What do you mean? Uh, on the Whole Foods I was building, the Spanish guys called me El Camillion. Yeah. Because I blended with anybody. I learned how to be anybody. Yeah. Didn't really, there's there's a lot that you can train your brain to do to where you do it like a reflex. Yeah. I can walk into into basically any situation that's not completely like has to be super detail oriented and I can put on a face. I can put on a character. In anything, in sales, it's been helpful because I could be your grandson, your friend, your nephew, your brother, your whatever, whatever is going to make you comfortable in this interaction. Yeah. Not to get your money, but to make you comfortable. Mm -hmm. You just learn to adapt to people very quickly. 
Yeah. Like with you, the very first time that I had you come out to our house, because you've done our electrical stuff here, did notice that about you. Because I pay attention to people and their stories, because that's how I learn who they are. Stuff like that. So what I noticed about you, and and I've never shared this with you, we were walking around inside and outside my house while you were recording the job basically like well you need a light here whatever here and then so you would do that on whatever task that I told you I wanted done and then you would stop and you turn to me and your face and everything changed and you said how else can I make your life better (laughs) and I get probably no one's ever told you that that they actually notice that you do that Mm -mm. but I mean and that's where I like oh this guy knows what he's doing like he's First of all, he knows his job because he's rattling off all the stuff he needs for the estimate. And then he's present enough to be able to say to the customer or potential customer, because at that point, he was just given an estimate. Well, how else can I make your life? Because that's really, I don't want electrical shit. I want a better experience in my home. You want your house to be better, the lights to be better, the appearance the feel everything yeah that's what i want you know you guys came in and put all the recessed cans and all that stuff in there and it's like i love it i come out in the morning and i can turn on my light and make it dim or bright or whatever i want i'm like yeah exactly yeah so the fun part about that for me is that i think i'm a good salesperson because i'm not trying to sell you Right. right being able to give the experience to the customer it's it's a cool feeling for me to have someone go Wow, like <laughs> I have been laughed at and joked with when it comes to customers and coworkers and employees or whatever. It's just like the freaking TV shows. I like the big reveal. I would yeah. have the lights off on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> Unless you're there watching me the whole time, <laughs> I have everything off. I'm like, all right, come on in, Mr. and Mrs. Customer. When you turn those lights on and watch someone's face go, <sighs> yeah. Oh my God, why did I not do this 20 years ago? You know, yeah. <laughs> that that's why I do what I do. I love I love being able to give that feeling to everyone. Yeah, so that's you know? that's part but, of your... But you can only do it if you do great work. Right. <laughs> right. So again, it, it kind of fuels the adrenaline junkie yeah. side. It's a dopamine Cascade. release. Yeah. You know, there there are endorphins. When, yeah. when you're happy around happy people, Weird, you huh? become happy. Right. You know, misery loves company. Well, bliss does too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And being able to, to, to give that to someone, yeah, for sure. I mean, I've never really thought about it that way, but yeah, for sure. I probably do feed off of it. I mean, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a good feeling to me. It makes me feel good right. to make someone else smile and go, wow. I remember uh, talking with your wife a little bit. <clears throat> she said, I'll paraphrase it, but I have no desire like my husband to take life's experiences and turn them upside down and shake them all around. <laughs> I don't need any of that stimulation. <laughs> she, she's my rock. <laughs> How do you guys, I mean, I'm just going to throw this out that opposites probably attract oh 100 dude yes uh, and she'll tell you like absolutely I mean, she is the more reserved let's hang out on the couch and just relax and yep nope i'm good you know mind you she, you know she's an active happy person but she is happy at home with the house and the kids and the dogs and i am always doing something we didn't talk for a long time about me starting my company i quit my full-time job on a thursday and i interviewed with two companies on a friday they both offered me six figures a year on Saturday, I looked at my wife and said, I'm going to start my own company. And by Monday, I was booked out for two weeks and never stopped. Wow. I have a long-running history of, oh, I'm going to do this now. 
it's the most fun way I know how to live. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was going to ask you, how did you then start your own business? But that's how it started. You, yeah, that's you, exactly you how You were working and then you decided. I got tired of making other people money. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I, well, not only that, I got tired of not being able to, to control the situation in such a way that I can improve the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, I've worked with, in a bunch of factories in my careers, I was always on like a lean management manufacturing team or a safety team to better improve, to streamline the processes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. I was with one company in Pennsylvania when, oh, when I had my landscaping and construction, all, all that stuff, that was from 6 a.m. until 1.30 p.m. Then from 2.30 until 10, I was a, full, a full-time machine operator for the largest cup printing company in America. Have you ever seen the cereal bowls in the gas stations like the Cheerios and the Fruit yeah. Loops? That's where this company, like, mm. that's what this company did. That was their number one money-making, fast-paced process. Well, if you look at those cups, there are eight color dots. There are eight separate yeah. freaking color codes on it. It is, it, it is, at that time, it was the most involved cup to have to print. Well, if you're going from one, like, say, a Cheerios job to a Fruit Loops job, all the colors got to change. The prints got to change. All the, all the pieces that touch the rollers to the cups, everything has to be modified, clean, changed, broken down to go to the next cup, so that there's not any imperfection or, you know, so that it looks right, so that it's yeah. up, so, so that it's up standards. Well, to change out these eight color heads, when when I came into the company, I mean, you're talking those machines were down for eight nine hours at a time. This major loss, and and as I was working my way up, I, I'm like, we can make that faster. So I ended up getting part of the lean management team and we were able to modify these multi-million dollar printing press machines in such a way that we could streamline the changeover times from eight hours to 45 minutes. Oh, wow. Dramatic, dramatic financial gain to the company. It was awesome. Um, They actually had me, because of what I was able to do, go to their cup forming plant. Basically, they told me what you did in printing. Can you do that in manufacturing? I was like, can I see it? I'm sure I can. I just got to see it first. And I did, you know, I was able to find ways around things that could make it better because I'm artistic. I was able to, 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 to physically draw what I was wanting to do mm-hmm. and say, this makes sense to me. Can y'all make this, this yeah. will make you money and being able to give them that and say here, Oh my God, it does make sense. Why have we not, why are we all making this much money? And think what this kid making 16 bucks an hour to yeah. figure it out. Well, it, it makes me think when I hear you say that going back to, when you were young and you were locked in your room and were creative, like that part of your brain. I Mm. mean, that's why I like flow therapy because it lets me open that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, That, 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 that you got in touch with in one of the worst times of your life that got you through it Mm. here is also continuing to help you sell in your life. The past is the past for a reason. Without the past, you wouldn't be who you are today. That's, that's, that's why I say that exact line all the time because I mean, I wouldn't be me. I, I wouldn't be here if I've not been through what I went through. Yeah. I wouldn't be successful. I, w- I, w- I wouldn't be happy, I don't think, if I hadn't gone through what I right. went through. Because you know, I'm the only me I know on this planet. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how, how anybody else would have engineered me. Right. Yeah. But this is what my world is to me. This is what yeah. makes it's, sense to me. It's just cool hearing you say that. It made me think back to that's what you mm-hmm. were doing then. Yeah. And it's continued to grow. Creative your, troubleshooting is yeah. is is a skill that can't be taught. Right. That that and drive. Yeah. I say that all the time. Drive cannot be taught. You the one thing you can't teach is drive. I've met so many people that, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to, yeah, I want to. But then when you say, okay, here, it's hard. Yeah. It's a hard step for a lot of people to make. 
I'm yeah. gonna if you if you're up for it, take a let's just slightly different turn. Yeah. Sounds like relationships were not always steady, strong, and great, but now no. you're married. How did you end up finding someone that you want to marry and be in, in a relationship? Because it sounds like you've had a lot of different things that have gone. Oh yeah. Um shoot. Uh, I was always the one who was gonna mess something up. It took me a long time to learn how to not be self-destructive. Mm-hmm. I was always the detriment to my relationships. Mm-hmm. I I couldn't get out of my way. I was right. always drinking. Um, there was, I've always had trouble in my own mind. Relationships have been hard because I couldn't be 100% honest. Mm-hmm. I always thought people would think I was crazy. I, I always had to hide the chaos that's in my mind all the time. Mm-hmm. Mm. Um, I had to go to therapy couple years back because my dad stuff just wouldn't let me go and I had to I had to get rid of it and I found this guy is amazing Mm -hmm. changed my world because of it when it comes to who I am now I was never able to describe to the person I was with that when I close my eyes and when I'm not speaking or doing something crazy or loud that it sounds like a thousand voices and freight trains running through my mind all the time right it's a constant yeah yeah all the time Mm -hmm. and I don't know how to control it or wrangle it in a lot of the time right and not being able to express yourself that way. Like, hey, by the way, this is why I'm working so hard. Right. This is why I'm moving so fast. This is why I'm doing so much. This is why I'm working 120 hours a week and putting you through school and college and a house and, and cleaning the house and cooking and paying all the bills and fishing and running a company and having a right. full-time job and a part-time job. This is why I'm doing this because I don't know how not to. Mm-hmm. And if you choose work over your relationship because you don't know how not to, you're going to lose the relationship. Right. And it's happened countless times. I've had my heart broken multiple times, been cheated on so many times because I was not there. I was, I was always at work. Right. Um, or drunk. When it comes to my being able to be married, I had to learn how to release mm-hmm. the work. Yeah. I had to be able to delegate outwards w- with people who could fit the position. What I know I can do by myself, but will be at the detriment to my relationship with my wife and family. Mm-hmm. The coolest part about growth for me, because I've had other business owners ask me, how are you growing like this? It's because I have to, because I want to be with my wife and my kids. I, w- I want to be part, I want to be active in my family. Mm-hmm. So I have to be able to get off the phones and have this work done here. And because if not, I mean, I'll just manically take it on myself and then, yeah. mm-hmm. and then be so worked up. I'll drink all night. And then my alter ego comes out. His name, right. is, his name is Crackhead Bob. Yeah. It's a thing. <laughs> yeah. So run um, yourself into the ground. Yeah. Because you can. Yeah, well, because I don't know how not to. Yeah. Right. Um, I've battled insomnia my whole life. It's hard for me to sleep. Because when I sleep, it's just as vivid as, as if right. I'm sitting here. Right. And it's usually a hell of a lot more crazy. Right. <laughs> it's high in chaos. I mean, just last night, I slept about four or five hours last night. And I woke up, and I was exhausted. And I had the wildest, most vivid, I mean, sight, sound, smell, color, visual memories, as if... As, could pass a lie detector test as if it had happened mm-hmm. because it's that real to me. My mm-hmm. brain doesn't stop ever. It's never stopped. I've had to learn to channel and focus and find, find little peacemakers in my life, right. you know, hunting or fishing or flow therapy or a massage or, you know, things that I can do to just kind of mm-hmm. disconnect and find a little bit of peace. When I was young and stupid, I was able to focus a lot of my energies into a format that my brain could understand and I would put it on paper mm. while I was under the influence. And when I came to, it made sense. Same thing happens with alcohol. 
I'll get very high energy. It's alcohol knocks a lot of people down. It, it speeds me up. If I have probably more than about three beers, I could have 50 and I could be up for days and let my brain just go crazy. If someone met me when I was very intoxicated, a, you don't know I'm drunk. It, there's a switch, I guess, because my father was an alcoholic. They say it's hereditary. I don't know. But I can pass for sober as far as, like, slurring or stumbling yeah. or falling over, or like, you know, being sloppy. But I'll be full-blown blackout drunk, and it, it's not me. I'm not there. I, that, I didn't do that. And yeah. the people around me see a much higher energy, chaotic, full lack of inhibition, as, you know, as they've said on all the commercials and the billboards. And... But it's it's wild. Like I, I, I structured my company drunk. I couldn't. Mm. It's not that I did it on purpose, but I was drinking a lot because I was stressed out about it, and I was able to come up with ways for marketing or how to grow or what I need to do. It's like it's like I was able to disconnect enough mm -hmm. to see my own thoughts clearly, and then when you're sober again, the right kicks back in. Yeah, but. It's not healthy to be drunk. Right. <laughs> so you can't do that all the time. Right. Yeah. My mind is always running. It doesn't mm. stop. That's why I've battled all the addictions for years I've had because I was trying to just make it stop. Right. You know, and just quiet it down. Like I've smoked pot for a long time and I've used it medicinally for years. But when it comes to interactions with people, me stoned is what I consider everyone else's normal. It's because I was able to focus and come into it at a normal level. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, it's just, when it comes to relationships, I, I actually had to learn in business finally that I, that I can delegate and I can let it go and I can have a wife, I can have a family, that I don't have to be the demon I had created myself. Right. You mentioned it earlier that there was a person in your life that you aspire to as your stepdad. Yes. When did he show up in your life? And I was 14. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, 22 years ago. How was that for you? You feel like you're, you kind of got on a different course because of him or because once I was in my once I was in my 20s when I first met him he, he was a joke he was soft I was I was tougher than him it's all I knew mm -hmm. you know, it's all I knew and he is a silent giant when I met him now with like age and health he's he's a little shorter but he's six foot five and he was 400 pounds mm -hmm. he was a wall of a man <laughs> literal I was like I'm because I'm not a small guy but he was big <laughs> yeah when he hunches over he's still taller than me and when I met him I was as hard-headed as, as you could possibly imagine I was the punk teenager hated my parents dad wasn't I don't want to cuss dad was a jerk um didn't care no one could tell me anything I already had a job already had a car what are you gonna do stop me how who are you can't stop me. Yeah. No one can stop me. The police can't stop me. My mom can't stop me. I can't stop me. How are you going to? And it, it, I was a jerk. I was a. I was rude to him. I have apologized a thousand times. I tell him I love him. I, he, he he gets it. We can laugh about it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Couldn't for a long time. When I met him, he was an immovable object, and I was an unstoppable force, like like the Joker in Batman. Yeah, <laughs> and. He just never budged. He was never mean. He was never rude. He never cussed at me. He never hit me. He did not do what I knew as punishment or discipline. So it, I didn't take it seriously. However, once I figured out, like, I lived with my dad for a while. We had a huge bad fight. And I moved back in with, with my mom. 
and I, on my path, on my journey of my work, of my life to, you know, get out, to do, to go, I, I started to understand and appreciate him when I would mess up really bad and he wouldn't cuss me or talk down to me or hit me or, and he was caring and considerate and kind and loving. And even though I didn't know how to take it, I called him by his first name. I still do most of the time, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I call him dad probably f- 20% at this point. Cause it's, it's hard for me. That, that word is hard for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But he understands. He gets it. We can talk about it. He, he knows. It took, I guess, to really understand who he was and how, how much of a positive impact he was until I was in my 20s. Got all drunk and lost my job doing the concrete work and had to move back home and get sober and find God. And, and he was a deacon, you said. Is yeah. a deacon. Is a deacon. Yeah. He's, all, he's been a deacon most of my life. <laughs> Doesn't cuss, doesn't drink, doesn't smoke, has never been rude to my mom. If I was rude, he was quick to put me in check because, as I said, he's a bear of a man. And even if you stepped to him, he was, he would stop you without hurting you. <laughs> His hands were the size of, like, tw- two of mine. Yeah. Are the size of two of mine. He's a large man. <laughs> he was always able to guide me in ways that I didn't understand because I was too hard-headed and Stuck in my own ways. I was a, mis- a miserable old man at 17 years old, you know. <laughs> you ain't going to yeah. change me. <laughs> I was an yeah. idiot. <laughs> I didn't realize at that point out loud in my brain that you had to listen to people other than yourself. Once I moved to Pennsylvania, I figured out that that portion. that well, I put the first puzzle piece in. Yeah, it's interesting, too, how, like you're describing, you know, for, force meets force. It <laughs> doesn't do anything, but if there's some to there, redirecting it. There's always got to be a motivator. Yeah. You know, if you are arguing with a stranger in public over whatever and you end up in a screaming confrontation until someone is able to let go a little bit and understand the other side, Mm -hmm. you're just going to fight. Someone's going to get hurt and no one's going to win. I was that teenager and it took me until I was in my 20s and I came back and understood that he was just trying to help. I'd had my first real dose of business and loss when it come to business and a, a big relationship and he was able to guide me and show me and help me get right and and restart my life over. Uh, now we're we're at a point in our lives where I can go to him for guidance. I can tell him I love him and I mean it. I can now being a stepdad myself. I was always scared to have kids. I didn't want kids. Mm-mm. I shouldn't have kids. Go ahead. Yeah. No, I was just going to ask. You said he helped get you right. What does that yeah. mean? Um, I had to find God and I, I needed someone smarter than me to tell me what to do. And he was the best, most, most calm person to speak with. Mm-hmm. He's always been a man of few words, but the words he says are will shake your soul. You know, they're always powerful, inspirational. You need to listen to this man. He's mm-hmm. he he's spitting the truth. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I mean, I was able to get sober and find God and get right and change my life, change my ways. I had to find my peace. Right. And I found it through. My faith and getting sober. I had to get sober. Alcohol was killing me. So he helped get you sober. And so then where did your life go from there? Like how, how, man, that's a fun road right there. That's, I was 25 going on 26 years old. Oh, it's, it's, it's been a hell of a decade. I took a week off work because I wanted to just reset, get my bearings in a new state back at home for the first time. Yeah. So you were where your life went from there. 
So uh, what um, direction? I mean, because here you are. God, obviously. I just worked. I just worked. I worked my butt off. I worked every day. I got a job with Subway. Subway had an an intense manager in training course. It was the Subway MIT course. It was a high stress elimination round type thing. Mm-hmm. There were sixteen of us that that got to be part of this first time program for this brand in this company, and there were guys in there with. <laughs> Degrees from freaking like Cordon Blue and associate's degrees in business and money management and marketing. And I'm like, yeah, I'm sober. <laughs> it's Subway. It can't be that freaking hard, man. Yeah. Like it's a fast food restaurant. Like, come on, you guys are trying too hard. Yeah. And it ended up being me and this one other guy through the process of elimination. Um, it was a, f- it was a four week course to have your own store. And within four wow. weeks, him and I were the last two in and we were both given stores. Mm. I trained for about three months in the store with uh, with the manager. She was awesome. She was so much fun to work with, and and learn from when it come to that biz because that that was at that point the easiest thing I'd ever done in my life mm-hmm. since Wendy's when I was fifteen. <laughs> yeah. It was like um, if you've ever seen the movie American Beauty, there is a scene where Kevin Spacey. Well, it's a whole part of it, but he <laughs> he quits his job, yeah. and goes to work at like a Burger King. I remember and. The manager's like, you're oh, you're way overqualified. He goes, well, how hard can it be to flip burgers and take change? And that's exactly what I did. I just I started over and ended up making the Marietta paper once I had gotten my own store because that subway had never had a 100 health score rating. Mm. And my third week in the store was the first ever 100 health score rating. I'm pretty sure my mom has the article at her house wow. still. Yeah. And that was the first time I had made the paper. Um, uh, what, what I did for that, it was subway and then... PetSmart, dog groomer. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I knew that about you. Freaking dog bather at PetSmart while I also worked part-time at, Mar- no, was it Marshall's? It was Ross, because my cousin's wife worked at Ross, and she, she she was able to give me a job in a retail store. That was the worst 10 days of my life. <laughs> <laughs> God bless the people that can work retail, because I am yeah. not, that is not me. The customer is not always right. <laughs> <laughs> so I did that for a little bit. I was a dog groomer. You know, going from what I've been through to now, I, I could be nothing but appreciative. Mm-hmm. You know, I can just smile every day because it could be a hell of a lot worse. All um, right. So you were Subway grooming uh, dogs yep, sub, to Subway, here you are now. Then, like, yeah. oh, no, there's a lot. No, there's, there's still a lot more. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> when you said that, well, this should take about an hour. I laughed at you on the phone. I was like, no, no, there's a lot about me, sir. Very few people know. And those people that do know are usually sworn to secrecy. <laughs> I'm coming out to the world at this point, like, hello, I'm here, and you're not getting rid of me. All right. <laughs> not for a All while. Right. Subway, then. and then PetSmart, and Ross, and uh, when I was working at PetSmart, one of my neighbors um, in my neighborhood, her, she was a customer service representative for a company called Affordable Contracting. They were the bathroom and kitchen seller and designers for the mm-hmm. Home Depot. And she said, I'd be great for this job. I was a dog groomer and worked at and worked at Ross. We had parties all the time. Like, what do you know about my work ethic? You know, I was stupid twenty six year old. <laughs> yeah. And I'm at the house one day. The guys had partied all night long. I would just drink energy drinks and water and get everyone else very drunk. It was very fun for me to watch everyone else get wasted, yeah. <laughs> and then see them fight over cabs in the driveway. <laughs> that, that was the most fun. That oh man, I, I had such a blast. But. One day after one of their party events, I was asleep and I hear a knock, knock, knock on the door. And so, I mean, God, if this girl hadn't showed up with her boss, the lead sales 
manager for affordable contracting at my front door, unannounced. I had never been a salesperson. I didn't even know what the hell they did. I just was told I'd be good for the job. I didn't show up in a suit and tie it. Hey, we give me a job. He was like, who are you? <laughs> well, so I come to the door, sleepy eyed and boom, just face and became exactly what I needed to be at the time in the moment, in that one precise specific moment. And he looked at me, he goes, I think you'd be a good salesperson. Do, what do you know about construction? I was like, by the way, that's all I did in Pennsylvania was sold construction. <laughs> Whether it was landscapers yeah. or snowplay, it didn't matter what facet it was. It's what I did. I just never thought of it as a sales job because I had to work. <laughs> yeah. And I, I went in and learned what they did. And they basically said, if you really know construction, then you can sell this stuff. I was like, okay, awesome. They were like, all right, here's your first customer to go. And I sold it. This might actually work. <laughs> I was apprehensive because I yeah. didn't know. You know, it was all new to me. And for the next year, I drove about 300 miles a day and ran three appointments a day and had a killer sales rate and sold bathroom and kitchen remodeling all uh, all over the south side of Atlanta. So you would go out and sell them at the house? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. Pitch them and here's what we can do Exactly for you. like the estimate process <laughs> yeah. I do now. That's exactly what I did then. All right, cool. Yeah. So... You want this bathroom done? Well, I have these tile options and these marble options and these color options yeah. and these faucet and fixture options and mirror options. I, as long as you had your product, you could sell your product. Yeah. And I also not only had the product, but I knew how it worked. Mm -hmm. I was able to explain, okay, so first we have to tear this out and then put this in. And then and then you take in all of the design cues from the customer. It's like, all right, and then these will be these colors and this colors and this colors. And that's that's where I helped build that, that facade character where I could just walk into anyone's house and be your son, your best friend, your nephew, your grandson. Yeah. It, it didn't matter. You, you wanted to talk to me. I had a really cool interaction with a, with an elderly woman. She was in her mid to late eighties. And I had, I always wore long sleeves. My tattoos stop at my sleeves on mm -hmm. purpose because I was in sales. So I didn't want my long sleeve shirts to, at the time, tattoos were still taboo. Yeah. I, I, I had a lot. And I had this woman talking about how her nephew, we, it was during a sale and she went on a tangent about her nephew and he was tattooed and just those people with the tattoos. And she was, duh, 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 duh. she was super angry about the yeah. tattoos and he was working at her house to help her in her barn and had his shirt off in the summer. She, she, on her, she said to me, I walked out there and saw him covering tattoos and told him he had to leave because that kind of person wasn't welcome on my property. I, I'm covered. <laughs> I'm hoping she doesn't see this, yeah. right? Like, I'm hoping she doesn't see this little this little piece of tattoo and and we're talking. I ended up being there for four hours. The sale was done in 45 minutes. We talked for hours. Me me and that woman sat at her kitchen table, freaking <laughs> yeah. drinking tea and eating damn cookies and just talking about life and her experiences. I love old people. They're so cool. They're full of so much information. Are just so cool to talk to because yeah. they've seen it. They've they saw the creation of the internet and phone and radio right. and and modern. They saw modern technology start to take over the world. It's cool to hear how they process it because, because I mean, none of us really know how right. to do right. it. We're just getting through this just like they did. Yeah. It's, right. cool. It's, it's cool to hear their stories. And we talked for hours. And when I went to walk out of that appointment, I had shaken her hand, turned around, faced the door, and I stopped. It's like, this can go one of two ways. And I want to dip my toes in the water. And I rolled up my sleeves and I turned around and I handed her a business card. And said, please hand this to any and to to any and all of your friends. And she cried. Yeah. She goes, Oh my God. I was like, what? Did I say something wrong? She goes, I could have never imagined someone like you'd be covering tattoos. Right. It's like, why? She goes, Because you're a good person. I said, Most of us are. 
we're just people who like art on our body. I'm still a person. And she cried and said, I've got to call my nephew. You've changed my perspective when it comes oh, to tattoos. Wow. It was a powerful day for me. You know, it was a yeah. cool feeling. And that made me fall in love with sales. That was early on into, into the sales career. And I mean, God, I had four hour blocks of appointments and I would talk to these people for two, three hours at a time and just talk about their lives mm-hmm. and, and, and hear their stories. It was, it was cool learning everyone else's stories and being able to enjoy it. So I took sales at that point into the rest of my life. Mm-hmm. The feeling of the gratification from hearing and seeing and doing and helping and being able to do something for someone else. I went from sales, got a job at Chipotle, the mm-hmm. restaurant. And they, the, the way they're set up is pretty cool. You can run through, like, you learn certain portions to work your way up to management. Well, I was on that path, as I always had been, just moving as quickly as I could, blowing blowing the doors off of everything I ever did. Yeah. And got to a point where I couldn't move up anymore. They weren't hiring for the spot. Uh, my friend JB, her father, had the construction company, the mm-hmm. uh, the friend carpentry company. Yeah. I was like, hey, will he hire me? Do you have experience? I was like, yeah. So he did, and we did. It was, it was awesome. His wife ended up getting cancer, and he let it go. So I took a job with the electricians that were there, that I had worked with hand in hand with for 10 months. I took a job with them. I was like, hey, will y'all hire me? No experience and teach me electrical work. My uncle is an electrician, a fantastic electrician. My cousin's a fantastic electrician. They're in my family. I call my cousin, hey, what should I do? Is like become an electrician. So I, you know, I talked to these guys. Will you hire me? They said, absolutely, you know. And that was where I, that's, that's the start of that career. I, I had gone from, like I started, it was backwards. I started in sales and leadership and then learned the job mm-hmm. through actually having to do construction and then do all the work and then had to learn the sales. And, and it was it was always separate and it was always unplanned and unintentional, but always stacked upon itself in a in a way that I wasn't prepared to understand or see. Right. And it was really cool. It's it, it's cool now to see where it's going and being able to realize, OK, well, I can keep making these own steps. And just now I know. It's going to be crazy, but if something, if you're presented with an opportunity that's worth it or that makes sense, you should do it. You should jump on it. You won't, you should never tell yourself no. Fear will kill you. Do you think that looking at all those different experiences in in and of themselves, they're kind of random? Absolutely. But man, they've come together like a puzzle piece. That's what I was going to ask you. Like looking back at puzzle pieces. Yeah. (laughs) That's cool. There's a reason for that. So looking back, like how do you, how do you account for that? Like, you know, I mean, you talked about your faith or like inspiration. I, I've been told my entire life I'm the luckiest person I know. And I've never, I've never seen it as lucky. I say it now because if you, you know, if you've told something enough, you start to believe it. It's, I've always been in the right spot at mm-hmm. the right time. My wife calls me a star child. There's nothing you can't do. There's nothing you don't, there's nothing you, you don't know how to do or, or aren't willing to learn. There's no fear that you have. There's no, there's nothing that, that, that could stop me. Except for death. Mm. And I don't see that happening for a very long time. Do you think someone else has the same capacity that you have? A hundred percent. Okay. There is no luck in my life. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just say <laughs> there's someone in, he's teenage, been through a lot of the same similar things, but he's struggling. He doesn't know how to find his way. Mm-hmm. Like, what would you, if you could speak into someone's life? I've done that many times. The best piece of advice I could give anyone is get out of your way. Stop saying can't. I learned a long time ago, can't is a very evil word. It's a toxic word. You will never hear me say can't. I, there's nothing I can't do, you know, because if someone did it, you can do it. It may be harder and it may, and it may, and it may take longer, but if you try, 
you can. Everything, you can do anything in this world. For most of us, we are not given things. So if if you can work for it, if you can earn it, and you, I mean, it's just as simply, you can answer your phone to call for a job. As simple as that, you can. And once you start that, because a, a lot of kids that have gone through what I've gone through don't know that they can because they're told they can't. Mm-hmm. You can't, you're right. dumb, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're this, you're that, whatever, whatever the case may be. All of that, especially when it comes to parents and like messed up living situations, it, you learn that you can't. But in all actuality, you learned it, so you can unlearn it, right? Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So what do you say to someone that has that's apprehensive or that like they're scared okay. to start? Everyone's something? apprehensive. That's see, that's the hard part because when it comes down to getting to someone who's like, well, you know, what do you know? How can you help me? Who are you to tell me anything? And that's where I think this story is powerful because I didn't have someone that could tell me anything. No one could tell me anything. But I was able to figure it out on my own. That puts me pretty far ahead of the freaking curve. When it comes to someone who's like, I don't know if I should listen to you. I don't know how to get started. If I can give them the answers, I will. If not, you know, everyone has a phone pretty much. In the modern world, you have a phone. Mm -hmm. That's the internet. Do you think that the world, you know, you can look up a way to find a job? Do you think that people are apprehensive because they're scared to fail or they're scared? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. The way I was raised, I could have gone one of two ways. I could have been the, I can't, I'm scared to do that. I can't do that. That's too hard. Oh man. I don't know what to do because all that noise is always happening. So you can get lost and oh, I can't. And then a lot of that turns into drugs and alcohol because it's, it's just the easiest path because if you're messed up, you don't realize how messed up you are. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I look at it like you, you know, you can't, I, Oh, I can't do that. I can't do this. Um, then you do drugs and alcohol or whatever it is. It's or, the one thing you can do that you have control over. But that also gives you an excuse of why you can't. Exactly. Do it. Because it's like the snake eating the tail. You can't do something, so you turn to something that you can do, which is counterintuitive to what you should be doing. Right. Right. When it comes to me giving advice to someone, I'm a very, as you know, I'm a very in-your-face, loud, boisterous, large, take-over-the-room kind of person. You know, I like to be that. But if I can also give the knowledge I have away, a lot of people are willing to listen to you when you're open when you're honest when you're exposed when you're scared when you're fearful right when you're real that's that's the hardest part when it comes to being able to take advice is finding someone who's real a lot of people suck Mm -hmm. therapists are not all that great doctors just want to give you drugs right it's hard to find someone who actually cares that's why i like having employees they are not under me at all they are my team I can't do me without them. Yeah, they're you know? extensions. Because I care, because I'm real. And they see it. And they will go out of the way and work harder and do more and be better because they know that I'm real. And what and what I'm doing is because I care. And I'm trying to give that to everyone. Everyone. Everyone I meet. I. You never know what someone's going through, man. I've been through so much, so much hardship in my life and have, and have been able to overcome it with very few physical scars. Not too bad legally, but to be able to come out and tell people my story 
I mean, when 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 you start telling a kid who's broken and beaten and and down, hey man, I've been there. I'll, they first think, oh man, everyone says that. Yeah. Right, you, right. You don't know what you're talking about, but then you start crying with them. Like, hey man, like this this actually happened. He actually kicked my ass. I, I actually saved my mom's life and can actually and can actually break yeah. down and be real and tell someone this is what happened to me. Yeah, that's how I can touch someone. Yeah, yeah that translates. Exactly. A lot of people that don't that have gone through the hardships, whether it's foster home or freaking drunks or, or drug addict parents, just terrible people in their life, no matter the situation, it's so hard for people to understand that you can, you can do more, whether you figure it out or you listen to someone who can. Right. But the way I run my everyday life, I built my company on integrity, morals, and respect. They're first. I'm not trying to get your money. If I could do electrical work for free, I would. It just so happens it comes with a pretty decent price because it's dangerous. Right. You know? Mm-hmm. I, I like the helping fact. And there's it's so hard. It, it was hard for me. I've had multiple people in my life that touched my heart. Just a drop at a time. But just like with anything, if you have a bucket and a drop of water, mm. a, million drops, right. a million drops of water will fill that bucket. And I... Not knowing it was happening, not knowing I was I, I was looking, I, not knowing I was finding what I was looking for and seeing it right in front of me. You know, I couldn't see the forest through the trees. I didn't know it was there now that I see my life and I see what I've been able to accomplish and, and what I'm able to do. I realized that you have to look at the people around you. You are the sum of the five people you're around most. Right. A uh, preacher told me, if you show me your friends, I'll show you who you are. These things all fall together. If you're, if, if you're around addicts and drunks, and awful people, you're probably going to be an awful person. And, and and then there's the and then there's take it back. Well, I don't know how to get out of it. This is the only option I have. Why? Because you can't, you can't, right? That's why it's 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 because you can't get out of it. Yeah. Who's stopping you? Why are you there? Who's telling you you can't? And that can piss someone off when when you call them on the on their own lie to themselves. Yeah. And excuses a lie you tell yourself. Doesn't matter what it is. And being able to express that you can, no matter what. I mean, I've I have friends of every race, ethnicity, sex, whatever ideology. I don't I don't care if you're a good person. You're a good person. I don't. You can be three foot tall and purple with like one arm. Cool man. Let's kick it and go. Like I don't know. Go down a water slide. <laughs> like, <laughs> but you know, like there's so there's so many people that can't get out of their way. Yeah. They can't see what they need to do. They can't quit drinking. They can't quit doing drugs. They can't find a job. Oh, they can't pay their bills. Oh, they can't not get locked up. Because they're lazy. They're not giving themselves enough credit. The human mind is amazing. Right. What we are capable of, mm-hmm. what we can do, it's cell phones are nothing compared to our yeah. brain. You know, you can do anything. I am testament. You can do anything. I was, I couldn't get out of my dad's way. I couldn't save my mom. I was an artist, a damn good one. My dad told me, you can't do art. You can't get paid in art. You can't do this. You can't do that all the time. I learned, I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I was awful. I was miserable. I was not happy because I was in a victim complex all the time. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that I can until one day, by God, I swear, I, at like 21 years old, I, I woke up and one day I was smarter. It was all of the separate external forces in my life that I had never truly in, internalized. 
and something. I don't know. There was not one defining moment that told me, yes, you can. But I swear, I woke up at 21 years old, and I could. I was an awful student. I, I couldn't do math to, to, to save my life. My job is 80% math. 10% magic and 10% science, you know, but it's still 80% math. I woke up and knew math. I woke up and something inside me woke up. Not I physically woke up, but I awoke to me. I was able to see me and look at me and figure out what I was doing wrong for me. No one could tell me these things, mm -hmm. but I was able to, oh, wow, you can. You can get a better job. You can do sales. You, you can do whatever you want. I had no plan. I was like a dog who chased a car. I didn't know what to do if I got yeah. it. You know, it's exactly, it's exactly what it was. So what's your, like, let's, since we're talking about plans and future and stuff, what do you, like, do you have a, an idea or a plan or like, Hey, this in five years, this is what I see or like, what, what's next for you? Well, be or, wait, before he answers that, I kind of feel like we should just say like, here's what I've created today what you have for your company, how many people, what, all of that. And then answer his question is like, what do you see for yourself yeah. in five years? Yeah. Um, I have, I have a successful local electrical business that I'm trying to take over every market as I can with slow growth. I have employees, I have guys in the field. I have multiple work trucks, a website and company clothes. And now I'm driving a big badass new truck and with a crazy horn with a crazy train horn. Yeah. The 21 black widow F two fifty with a train horn. I love it. I've never, I've never been so popular in traffic in my life. It was usually, Oh, that punk kids doing burnouts. Now apparently I have been learned in Woodstock and people will see me and give me the freaking train truck. Like, you know, honk your horn sign. And I'll go through Woodstock bonk, bonk. And it's cool. You know, it's thinking where I come from. All the stuff I've been through to now having a successful business. Most small businesses fail. Like, was it 75% fail in the first two years? I'm, I'm going on year three. And we've tripled every year. And, I'm, I, and I still got a smile. I'm happier now than I ever was. And I'm doing more now than I ever was. Yeah. But yeah, I've been able to build a life and, ha and have a nice home and have a family. And all the things I thought I wasn't able to do. The things I could never have a wife. I could never be a good dad. I didn't know love. I didn't know human interaction, people caring. I couldn't. There's no way I was going to do yeah. that. I had no idea that one day I would have people. I'm looking to bring people into my life. To go from, no, I don't trust anyone. I can't because no, one, no one's going to do me right. Mm -hmm. To being able to be the person doing right for everybody else is a powerful feeling. It's, it's super cool to see myself and my life now and think, man, two and a half years ago, I was happy making seventeen fifty an hour. I'm driving a $100,000 truck. But I did it. I've gotten to this point because of my drive, because of my focus, because of my energy, because I want to enjoy the rest of my life. I went through hell to get to heaven. I'm not letting go. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, that's good. Yeah, and I almost that's feel like emotional. <laughs> I almost feel like like do we want to end it there? I went through hell to get to heaven. I, I feel like that. that's. I feel like that's a great. That's a strong stopping point. Yeah, yeah. And we're not going to fully stop it yet because we do have three questions that we ask all of our guests. Cool. First question: mm -hmm. If you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be? And what would you want to discuss? And this person could be someone that's already passed away, a celebrity, someone that's alive. 
you could have dinner with anyone, who would it be and what would you want to discuss? I thought about this a lot. Mm. I thought about this most of my life. Um, Charles Manson. Mm. Mm. He was wild. Wild ideas. He was a weird, not normal, murderous person. But the way he was able to express his opinions and views to other people, and they want to follow him. Mm-hmm. He didn't force anyone to do anything. They wanted to be there. He was able to give people something that they didn't have in themselves. Mind you, he abused it. I would have loved to have picked his brain to see what he thought. Why did he do mm-hmm. it? Mm-hmm. In the most co- most coherent way he, he could have described it, because he wasn't all there in the first right. place, but I would have loved to have heard his story. Learned, learned something about his brain because the man was wild. He was, he was intense. He was crazy. But people were drawn to him. They, mm-hmm. they flocked to, to him. And I feel like the universe is telling me yes all the time. And I'm starting to get out and bring people, you know, whether it's jobs or stability or advice or whatever, all the different avenues of business and friendship and all the things I'm doing, I'm able to help people. And and it seems like people want to be around me. Mm -hmm. And just to see how he did it, I always thought he was creative. I always thought he was crazy. (laughs) He was crazy. Right. right. (laughs) But, but I mean, who wants to interview someone boring? Yeah. I I think there is something, like you said, is what's someone's story? How was his brain working? How is it? It is interesting to hear people's story. It's just like anything with that question. Do you think I'm going to pick someone who was modest? (laughs) Like if I'm going to pick one person to talk to, give me the wild one. Yeah. 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 Give me the one the other ones can't talk to. Like I want that guy. (laughs) Question two, what restores your faith in humanity? That's a hard one. A lot of people are pretty awful people to their own degree, whether it's in their private life that that you never see, personal life, whatever. When it comes to restoring faith in people, seeing someone intentionally go out of their way to help someone and ask nothing in return. I hate seeing these videos on the internet of people going and giving a homeless person a hundred bucks and then sticking a camera in their face. It's disgusting. There's so many times I've given money to people or food to people and never asked for a thing back. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need to thank you. Just accept it. Mm-hmm. Do something with it. Seeing those small random acts of kindness, the candid moments in life that no one's recording, being a part of that, you know, mm-hmm. that's what gives me faith in people. Knowing that there are still people that aren't just trying to be TikTok famous and YouTube famous. Yeah. Know, knowing that people can still care mm-hmm. and can still help others in a way that's selfless but not sacrificial to themselves. Yeah. That's a cool thing. That's what brings me, that's what gives me faith in people. Yeah. Yeah. All right. And the last question is what still amazes you? <laughs> My life. I'm in awe every day of what it's turned into and what it's becoming from where I was to what I can possibly be. I'm not a person with a plan. I wake up every day like a newborn baby. Every day is a new opportunity to do something I've not done before. And 
that is amazing. My life, to me, still amazes me. And I believe it probably will the rest of my life and anyone who's involved in it because I'm not done. I want to help. I want to do. I want to grow. I, I want to be more than I know how to be. And one day, I will do it. But in the meantime, I can smile and be amazed that <laughs> I got to wake up to try. Yeah. yeah. That's what amazes me. Thank you, John. <laughs> it is an amazing story, and I thank you for sharing it. We don't answer the questions every time ourselves mm-hmm. that we ask. I will say, you restore faith in humanity. For sure. Someone like you. I appreciate that. Yeah. You can look in the mirror and say, that person restores you, faith in humanity. You done good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. For sure. Yep. Well, thanks so much, John. You're welcome. Yep. Here we go. Thanks, everybody, for listening. This is Bruce and Renee with We Are Still Here. You can find us on Instagram at rbstillhere. And if you would like to be a guest on our podcast, because we love interesting stories, please email us at rbstillhere at gmail.com. You can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple, all those regular normal spots that you would look for them at. Thanks again. And please share with your family and friends. Thanks for listening, everybody.